hearing more next week. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Please follow along in your pew Bibles, or if you brought your Bibles this morning, open them up to that chapter. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his servant is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us be in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for the promise that comes from your word, that which we can read and hold in our hands and take into our hearts. And as we hear the message this morning that you have given to Pastor Mike to share, we pray that it will just etch itself on our hearts and that we will carry it forward and share it with others throughout our day and throughout our week. And we will hold it close to be closer to you and to know you better. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, the uh, first day when it starts to snow is, is kind of like, you know, in the spring when it starts, you know, it's the first part of March, you know, we always get that day where it's like 42 degrees and it's been cold for two months. We all just put our flip-flops and our shorts and our short sleeves and we walk outside because it's so warm now, you know, because we've been so cold. Today's that day on the other side of that where it's been such a nice fall and that day comes around you and you say, well, we should really just kind of pull a blanket over our shoulders and snuggle on the couch and drink coffee and read the paper all day. So I'm glad that you... Uh, left some of that behind, uh, ventured out into the cold to be with us. But I've been a little bit concerned because I've, I've already preached once this morning. And I got to tell you, they were kind of sleepy before I started, before I started, before I started. Um, so so, I, so I'm going to tell you this just to kind of loosen you up a little bit. You know, it's a really, really frosty morning outside, kind of like it it is today. And um, husband got a text from his wife and said, winter's, 
Windows is frozen. And he texts back, pour some warm water on it. She texts back to him about five minutes later. Now the entire computer shut down. If you laughed or groaned, at least you're with me, and I'm glad, I'm glad for that. Because I want you to be with me this morning because we've got some impo- important places, some intriguing places to go, and some places where God is going to challenge us. You, of course, heard the uh, Messiah, or a piece of the Messiah, just a few moments ago, and it was just fantastic. And I encourage you to come back at either the 8.30 or 9.45 service and hear it in, in, in its majesty here as it's sung, uh, not performed, as it's sung to the glory of God right here in our sanctuary. And I tell you that to, to share with you some of the, the scriptures that we're preaching through Advent that, uh, that um, parallel with our candles are also the scriptures or some of the main scriptures that host the Messiah. So, so we're watching that theme. I have a friend named Paul Tangonen. We went to seminary together and he spent the majority of his career and is there now at Lahaina United Methodist Church in Maui. He calls me twice a year in the fall and in February. The February call is always kind of creepy because it says on my cell phone that Paul's coming. I, I answer the phone and I hear this very Polynesian voice saying, so what you wearing today, man? I said, Paul, you know what I'm wearing. I'm wearing everything I own. It's February now. He says, yeah, I still haven't had long pants on the last 20 years. So that's mean-spirited. But the other call is in the fall. And this fall when he called me, I could hear, you know, noise around him. And I said, what are you doing, man? He says, oh, I just went, walked. He says, I, get this. This is the kind of church they have. I walked across the road to the beach from his church. He says, I'm just sitting on the beach. I said, well, what are you doing? He says, I'm not doing anything. Mike, you got to understand, sometimes you just got to sit down and drink it in. I remember that he had stolen that line from one of our seminary classmates who had an apartment on the third floor of our apartment building in, in Denver that faced west to the mountains. And Mike Marshall is his name. He's a pastor in Texas now. But when Mike would oftentimes in the afternoon sit out on his deck and you'd walk around and he's not studying church history. He's not writing a paper. He's not running around doing something. He'd just be sitting there looking at the mountains. and say, Mike, what are you doing? He'd say, fellas. Sometimes you just got to sit down and drink it in. You know, we see that in a lot of different ways, not just at the, at the things we gaze upon, but at the pieces of our lives. One time I was down the hall here in Carrying Corner, and there was a, a, a woman, she was clearly a grandmother, and she had a gaggle. I don't, can you have a gaggle of grandkids if there's just three? Anyway, there's three. How many is a gaggle? Is that three? Anyway, she had a gaggle of grandchildren around her, and they were all tugging, and they all wanted to show grandma something that they'd made that day in Carrying Corner or something like that. And, and I said, how are you doing? She says, I am just drinking in the love of my grandchildren. Isn't that awesome? But that's, of course, the truth of the matter is sometimes... We just have to drink in the love. We just have to drink in our God, too. I, I, you know, you, you might know the scripture that we read a few moments ago, but, but I want to share with you the end of Isaiah 40. You probably know it. And I just want you to take a moment and hear these words. And if you've got a pew Bible or if you've got one on your iPad or something like that, you know, just look up Isaiah 40, verse 28. 
And I want you just to, to give me a moment, if you would. Well, not don't give me a moment. Give the Lord a moment just to hear his word and, and just drink this in. Because, see, this scripture teaches us what we are to drink in, which is the love and the ability of our great God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up, they, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let me, let me help you with this again. If you would oblige me. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. There's none like him. No, no beginning, no end. He's the creator of the ends and earth. He, this is the only thing, the only character that can have this. He will not grow tired or weary. Anybody undefeated against tired and weariness throughout their life so far? No, we're not, are we? We have all at some times grown tired or weary, but God will not in his understanding. No one can fathom. He gives strength. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths, you know, confirmation students and high school students and little children grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of God for all of those of us who need that. Whoever encounter weariness. Whoever encounter tiredness. Because what we need is what God has given us. He presents himself as a God of love and ability. As we, as we light these four candles, dramatically closing in on Christmas Day. They give us, and that's why I've always loved these candles, because, you know, there's, there's no video graphics behind them. There's not some pastor messing them up. There's not, you know, something going on. They're just burning. And for a whole week, just two of them burn. And it gives us the idea, the, the, the opportunity to just sit and reflect on the meaning of hope and love and just drink it in. Just, just drink it in for a few moments. Just drink in our great God's character. And our great God's character has been described to us in Holy Scripture and probably been played out in all of your lives in these ways, at least these two ways, that God is love and God is able. God is love and God is able. Now there's resistance to that. There's resistance to this thought that God is love and God is able. Some of you probably that are, are, went to school before I did had to study Archibald Archibald McLeish. Do you remember him, Archibald McLeish? He wrote this. If God is God, he is not good. And if God is good, he is not God. If God is God, he is not good. If God is good, he is not good. He is not God. Do You see, the thing of it is, so many people in the world believe that God has to be one or the other. He can only be able or he can be loving. He cannot be both. And the Christian community speaks right back to you there because, you know, see, a lot of people will say, you know, if God is loving, 
then he cannot deliver the ability that's needed of God. If if God is loving and and he's a God of comfort, he cannot protect his people from the evils and 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 the snares in the world. And if God is loving and filled with comfort, he cannot destroy that in the world which needs destruction. So if God is good, McLeish and others say, then he's not God. He has to be one or the other. And they also say that if God is a God of ability, then he can't deliver the love that's needed of God. The God of protection, the God of of fierceness, the God of wrath and judgment cannot deliver comfort. The God of of, 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 who corrects cannot be loving. This this either-or concept has ruined many hearts. Not just led by McLeish, but by many others. You see, the Christian community has spoken into that argument many, many times. And you know what? We speak into it with the most simple theology that might be known to Christianity. Many of you said this prayer around your dining room tables. Many of you learned this simple little table grace that says this huge theological statement. It's like this. When we hear that God if God is good, God, he cannot be good. If God is, is God, he cannot be good. What we speak into that is simply this. You know it. God is good and God is great. You heard that one? Some of you are nodding your heads because you know it. God is good, God is great, and we thank him for our food, right? Because it says this huge theological statement. It says God is good, that means God is loving, and God is great, which means he's mighty and he's able. But to drink this in fully, give me a few minutes, if you would, of your wakeful time to unpack a couple of metaphors. You see, anytime you offer an analogy or a metaphor about God, let me tell you, it will fall short. Because nothing... Uh, can metaphorically speak about what God is. Nothing can uh, also say God is like this. But let me play out two metaphors for you that show to me that God is love and God is able. First, and I have to tell you, I love this characteristic of God. We need a warrior God. God is warrior. God is mighty. There is no match for him God is our defender and our protector. There never will be, nor shall there ever be, a foe that can match wits with God, that can match strength with God, that can kind of even come on God's radar for needing to slaughter on our behalf because nothing can match God. You know, I remember being at a youth conference years ago and this little girl stood up in front of that. She was a high school girl at the time, I'm sure, I don't remember what she said. I even wrote it down, which was surprising for me. She said this. She was tasked with telling a bunch of her colleagues, a bunch of other high school, 1,500 or so kids, what God was like. And she got up there and she said this. God is strong. Like the huge biceps of my daddy. For when I am inside those arms, what possibly could hurt me? What possibly could hurt me? God is strong. Now we put that God as strong and able, the the, the mighty warrior, as one of God's characteristics. The other characteristic that it speaks of in this, in in Isaiah and other places, this idea of God as the shepherd. 
that God is so very tender inside his strength. There we are in the cradle of his love. I remember that very same little girl going on and saying, inside my daddy's huge biceps, I am protected. And yet, I am cradled in the comfort like being a little child. There is comfort and tenderness in his arms. In God our Father, in our Abba Daddy, the creator of heaven and earth, there is strength like a fierce warrior. There is mightiness because he is powerful beyond all power. And there is the tender, loving care of a loving daddy as well. Now we say, well, how does that play out? Well, it's played out in your lives and it's played out in my life in a lot of different ways. And I want to give you one example. I want to give you something that, that was very difficult and very tender and very harsh at times for me as I found out in a specific set of circumstances here in, in my life as the pastor at Marion First United Methodist Church that God was both my warrior and my shepherd. He would stand in front of me and protect me from all harm, and yet at the same time cradle me in his love. There was a set of circumstances that played out here that were simply difficult, and I will tell you that they are far behind us now, and all has been healed. So I share this with you just as a matter of fact. It was a Thursday, and apparently there was a disagreement and a misunderstanding between me and another. And this disruption exploded into portions of our congregation. Now, we were standing on the edge, as, as I and the pastoral team were leading, we were standing on the edge of what I thought was going to be a, a turning point in the life of our congregation, as, and as it happens, it was. But we were, we were standing on the edge of this huge program, program, and all was excited, and all was pointing in the same direction, and there was this huge disruption, this thing that could, could pull us apart. And, and I went home. I remember that Thursday night, it being a very, very difficult night. And I was praying and praying. And when I woke up in the morning, I was driving down to see one of you at St. Luke's. And I apologize for not remembering who. But I, I'm sure our time together was, was blessing. But I, but I said, I need somebody to pray for me. I need somebody that knows how to pray. Somebody that's an expert in praying to pray for me. And I called my friend Jennifer Daniels. She's a pastor at Marshalltown. Some of you probably know Jen. And I said to Jenny, I said... Jen, this is what's going on in my life. This is what's going on in the life of First United Methodist Church. Uh, it could be most damaging. Could you pray for me? She says, Mike, she's from Kentucky or Tennessee. Mike, I'm going into a prayer meeting with a bunch of women right now. We'll put you front and center. I said, thank you. I said, thank you, Jennifer. I left St. Luke's. And I'm telling you, I was disrupted because I love this church. And I love the people in it. And I don't like it when any of you are aching or when we're disrupted. And so I drove from the hospital to, to a friend's house who was dying. She had called to have her funeral consultation. She was in the room present. And she had a sheet of paper. She, she held up a sheet of paper. And, and on that sheet of paper were scriptures and songs and all the things that we were going to do at her, at her service, which at that time we didn't know, but it was just going to be a few days hence. And we talked and we prayed and, and I left and, and, and she was very concerned with me, which I thought was weird because she was dying of cancer. But she was very concerned with me at that moment. And so when I got back to the church, the bishop had called me. So, you know, you, re you respond to that call when you're the pastor. And he says, uh, 
hey, I've got a note here from a couple of your people who want you to quit. I said, well, I can't blame them, but, uh, but no. And we explained the situation. He understood it, and he says, well, that's the dynamic of the church. And there are a couple other things that people want me to quit and do other things or cease and desist. And so, and you know, you know when you're a public person, that happens from time to time. It's, it's okay, and, you know, all's forgiven and all that kind of stuff. Again, I'm just telling you this as a matter of fact. And so I was driving home that day, and I was so dis- divided and yet so excited about what we were going to launch. And, you know, we went out to, uh, to, to the school on Saturday night, and, we, you know, we were praying, and, and, of course, there was a lot of, you know, conversation and, and a lot of stress because there was brokenness. There was, there was division within us, and there was this deep pain in the life of our church. And it was disconcerting to me. And I, I remember then, after I left that night, I, I was just praying, and Jenny called me. And she said, Mike, I want to tell you what happened yesterday. This woman, Deanne Clapp, saw a vision of you. I, I don't know Deanne. She said she saw a vision of you and your situation. And she said she felt the Lord's come around you like a wing a wing that's made of iron and can deflect anything that comes towards it. And inside, you're comforted by the soft feathers. Now, you might think, well, that's kind of weird, but hold on. So we had church that Sunday morning, and it wasn't easy, but it was good. And when I got done with church, my phone out there in the hall where it always was had rang four times. Four times it had rang during church. All four were messages telling me that our good, dear friend had passed away. I, of course, did what pastors do. I jumped in my car. I left the church. I drove right to her house. And she had taken the piece of paper that we had written on before, and she'd put a big X across all of it. Big X across it all. And she said, substitute this for everything else. And in her handwriting wrote Psalm 91, verses 1 through 10, And then she wrote VS, verse 4, circled it with an arrow that says, for Mike. For Mike. Listen to this. Psalm 91, verse 4. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be be your shield and rampart. And I remember reading that in her living room and said, I need no other thing. The church will be healed. The pastor will be healed. Sensitivities will be understand because our God, in the middle of this misunderstanding, in the middle of this disruption, in a thing that could have cauterized and split the church right down the middle, here our God comes speaking to us all, saying there is a God who is loving and will cradle you and your church in his hands, and there is a God who is a fierce, mighty warrior who will protect that church, the living house of my spirit from all that is evil around it and beyond it and all of us interestingly enough even though that was for me all of us over the course of weeks felt that very truth playing out in our lives for god is able he is our warrior and defender he is the defender of my soul he's the defender of your soul he is the one that covers us with strength and our god is loving and he cradles us in his arms Now, I know that many of you could come up with far more powerful statements 
for far more powerful witnesses of how God has shown himself as loving and able in your lives in things and circumstances that are much more difficult and dire. But this we know, that God's love and ability is spoken of with great consistency in Scripture. There's no cheap human condolences. There's no promises or wishful thinking in there. You know, we know how hard it is when somebody around, around us is really hurting, when their soul is really divided, when, when things are really wrong, and we go to them with words that we have, and we say, well, I'm sorry that's happening to you. That's really difficult for you. But God offers none of that in scriptures. He never once, if you ever look at the scriptures, he never once apologizes for the human condition. As a matter of fact, if you look at Ecclesiastes and some places like that, God is pretty blunt in scriptures about simply acknowledging the reality that yes, suffering and sin does exist. Evil is out there in the world. But in it you stand not alone. That's the point of the gospel. In it you stand not alone. Because the prophets know to stress the weariness, to stress the weariness, to stress the division, to stress the difficulty, would not be right without saying to us and teaching us about the strength of God. Because in the midst of our overwhelming, what seemingly are futile circumstances, the loving and able God speaks and works. You see, a God for a desperate world and that's the one we live in, must rule with strength. At the same time, he gathers and carries his flock towards safety in the comfort of his arms. And that's why I say, and that's why you say, too, without, with, with abandon, God is good and God is great. That's awesome. Now, Isaiah 40 is a lot like an overture to a musical. You know, if you ever go to a musical and you see it the second time, the first song makes a lot more sense to you. You know, because the first song, the overture, always tells you what all the rest of the songs are going to be about. In Isaiah 40, the first part of what's called second Isaiah, I'm not going to do a lot of biblical exegesis or interpretation for you, but Isaiah's in two parts, and second Isaiah starts in, 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 in verse 40. And from, verse, from chapter 40 through 66... There's really only three motifs laid out, and Isaiah 40 lays them all out. So I'm going to work through them really quickly for you, because these are, these are what he's going to talk about the rest of his prophecy. The first one is this, theme, the theme one. God is at work redemptively in the events of human history. God has come and is coming to help you. You hear that? God has come and is coming to help you. We have to realize from the get-go in our Christian theology that God is not against us. He is for us. Do you remember on page 2 of the Bible? I mean, here we got God, you know, creating the heavens and the earth, everything about it. And on page 2, we're running from God. Adam, Adam, where are you, Adam, says the voice of God. And Adam's voice is what? I ran from thee, for I was naked. And from that moment on, we seem to have been running from God all the way through human history. And yet, in the resounding choruses of the Psalms, in the resounding prophecies of the, Old and, uh, the, of the Old Testament, even down to Jesus' words and to Paul, who says, if God is for us, who, cannot, who can be against us? What 
can conquer us. There's nothing that can conquer us. Understand, my friends, if you understand nothing else out of this sermon, that your God, who is loving and able, is for you. He's not only on your side, he is your side. Do you understand? God is for you. He fuels you. He's the center of your life. God's marching towards us. See, one of the things that we under um, look in this scripture, in Isaiah 40, now it's, it's told a little bit different in the Gospels, but in Isaiah 40, when it was first spoken, if you look back to the Hebrew, you can see that it's intended this way. It says, prepare a highway in the wilderness. Now, that has been taught in the New Testament. Oh yeah, that's what you do. A king's coming, you go out and you straighten out the road and stuff like that. Well, in Isaiah, it's told this way. Prepare a highway in the wilderness because God is coming on it. And those who prepare it are not those that we can see. They are a force beyond our seeing, and what they have done is they have taken any bends, any bumps, any hills, any valleys that are between you and God and given God a clear path to your heart. And he is coming. Now, we know at this time of holiday what it's like to have someone coming, isn't it? When we were little kids, I have a cousin that's between my brother's age and I. His name's John. And it was always so exciting when the cousin came to play. You know, we didn't have that many cousins. We only have four cousins. So, so when our cousin would come hang out with us, it was a big day. And like Thanksgiving Day, you know, or Christmas Day, we'd be standing in the living room starting to pace around. We'd have all the footballs ready. We'd have everything, you know, done whatever our parents had told us to do. And, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning, we'd be saying to my dad, well, when are they going to get here? Well, Mike, they live in Spencer, you know. Takes a little while to drive across the state. They're supposed to be here at 3. But when are they going to be here? Well, at 3. And we'd be pacing around so expectant. So hoping for their, them to come. But we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have iPads. We couldn't contact them. All we could do is trust that they were coming because they said they were. We could do nothing to hurry up his arrival. Nothing. But we could expect it. The same is true with our great God. We can do nothing to hurry his progress, his coming towards us. But we can't expect it because he's told us that he is active and involved and working in the events of human history today. We cannot initiate this ourselves, but he gives us the power through his Holy Spirit to understand that he is for us and his grace is coming upon us. For God is working to redeem you in your life right now. Drink that in. The second theme I find in Isaiah, in the second part of Isaiah, is this. The frailty and impermanence of humanity. It says in there that the prophet says to God, God says to the prophet, cry to the people. And the prophet says, what shall I cry? And God says, this is the mic version, not the version you have in your hands. Tell him it doesn't last long. That's what God says. Life doesn't last long. You're like grass. You grow up, you wither. It doesn't last long. And you can do nothing about that. But understand this. Because the very next line is, even though life is short, the word of God endures forever. Now, if you, don't, if you don't write things down or you don't want to write things down, that's okay. But if you're going to write something down from this sermon, next sentence is the one to write down because this is the best thing I'm going to say all day. Before our first and after our last, God operated and will operate. Before our first and after our last, God operated and will operate. Do you understand that? That even though our moments here are very brief. The God is an everlasting God. And so what makes value of our life? 
What makes value of our life? Check it out. 1, 1 John 2 verse seven, 17 says, The world and its desires, that's us, pass away. But whoever does the will of the Lord endures forever. So there we have a place with the everlasting God. Even though our life is short, our life can be exceedingly long if we're willing to simply be born twice and only die once in the Lord Jesus Christ. The third theme, the mission of humankind is to share God with all people. And this is where I'm going to take it home. First and foremost, we are called to see. See, sometimes in the church, we're saying, hey, you've got to do, do, do. We've got to serve, serve, serve. We've got to this, that, and the other thing. But that's not what we're called to do first. First and foremost, we are called to see what God is doing on our behalf. We're called to see what God is doing on our behalf. Before we do a a thing, we need to drink in the presence of God. We need to drink in what is happening around us that God is making happen. Then, secondly, we're called to respond to the good news of our God. I I sent out a tweet. I I wish I'd write a book on this thing because it's one of my best tweets ever. I sent out a tweet this week, you know, because it's finals week on a lot of college campuses. And you know, finals are the worst thing, the hardest thing students have ever faced. You know that, right? Because they don't have jobs, dogs, cats, mortgages, all that. So we know how hard it is out there on campus right now. So so I wanted to calm some kids down that were thinking, oh, you know, so I, I just tweet this. 140 characters or less. Let God fill the center of, your st- of the stage of your life. Let God fill the center of the stage of your life. If he's the main character in your life, you will do your part just fine. You'll do, if you want to follow me, it's at MunchRev. You can see all these kind of nuggets come out all the time. It's a, do you want to explain Twitter for a few minutes when we're done here, Gabby? Thank you. All right. <clears throat> no. But understand that. See, so you say, what is our part? What's our part in this? It's been interesting. Keith and I and, and, and Vicki and, and, and some, some lay folks in the church have been going through the Healthy Church Initiative. We're going to be really unleashing that to you in February. You'll really be seeing a lot about that. But one of the things we've been studying is how do you simply, you know, share God with other people? Really interesting. Really interesting. What I've read in one of the books. See, our part, get this, this is going to hurt our feelings. Our part as Christians is to not be greedy, not to be stingy, and not to be snobby with what or about that which we've received from God. Doesn't that just slay you? It does. It slays me. I, I was, a long time ago, I was in Naperville, Illinois, and I, I was dressed okay. You know, I was dressed normal preacher attire, uh, but not with a suit and tie. And I was going to a, a country club to have lunch, or so I thought. And I got in there, and they said, Sir, we're glad to have you here, but you can't eat in the dining room dressed like that. You can eat in the bar, but you can't come in the dining room. I was like, man, you guys got all this stuff. It is beautiful 36 holes worth of golf, but you really don't want to share it with anybody. Now it's theirs to do, but this is not ours to do. See, the fact of the matter is those of us that come to the church a lot, those of us who, who love Lord Jesus Christ and have him in our hearts, sometimes appear to those on the outside as stingy or stuck up because we don't share what we have. We've trapped that blessing for ourselves. And this simply cannot be the case because 
one of the themes of God's Holy Scripture that comes over and over over towards us is that humankind is to share God with all people. T.S. Eliot says, the desert is not in some remote southern tropic. The desert is in the heart, and it's to the heart that we need to be willing to speak. We light this love candle on this second Sunday of Advent for a couple things. One, so you can drink in the love of God that you have received and so that you can find a way to share it with someone who is so thirsty. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for that which you speak through us, to us through the prophets, through those of old. And we ask, O oh God, that we might continue to speak their words to those who need respite today. In Jesus' name, amen.